0: Welcome to the mystery of the missing attention span. This series includes all of the members of the Kids Brain team in combination and individually to share information about ADHD. We are going to deep dive into attention, hyperactivity, impulsivity, and cover every aspect from early red flags and development of attention across the time span to identification through testing, and then intervention and support so that we can help our kids' brain ADHD kids really thrive. Join us for this series. Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Morrison, and today we're going to talk a little bit about the basics of attention development. As a psychologist that specializes in uh, testing and assessment and helping parents better understand what their kids' brains can do, questions about the ability to focus, pay attention, concentrate, all of those words are interchangeable to me, are really common referral questions for why parents come to the office. They want to know if the struggles that they are seeing their child have in completing everyday tasks has anything to do with their attention systems, like ADHD or other attention problems. So I wanted to take a little bit of time to talk about how the attention systems develop and maybe how we can set some realistic expectations for what attention and attention span looks like based on age so that you have some context for that for your own children. So when babies are born, they have the ability to do a number of things. But attentional control is not something that we start out with having a whole lot of effectiveness in. In infancy and early childhood, the brain can ready itself to pay attention. And they will, as a part of the research process, be able to take a look at factors like reduced movement, increased distractibility, lower heart rate, and intensified focus on a specific target, but measuring a baby's attention span is tricky. Oftentimes, they're looking at things like how long a child looks at and focuses on something in the visual systems because they don't have language systems yet. And babies really focus most on the sensory input that comes into their brain, which is why newborns are tricky because all of those sensory pieces of information that come in can become a focus and sometimes be bothersome or soothing, which is why having a twisted pants leg on your newborn can be so distressing to them. And then you're doing the full systems check of, is it a wet diaper? Is it a dirty diaper? Is it time for a feeding? Do they need to be close to someone? And it's something simple like their foot got pinched in the onesie that you put them in that day. So those sensory systems and input from the sensory systems are largely reflexive, in babies that are zero to two months of age. And so those are systems that they can't control or turn up or turn down. And some babies are more sensitive to sensory input than others or soothed by certain kinds of sensory input than others. But once we get to the place where kids reach like the three to six month old age range, this is where research suggests that the visual systems start to come online and the ability for the brain to focus in on a single target And to turn off or inhibit attention to other things as a result of that focus starts to become a developmental skill that we're more capable of. At around six months of age, the nuts and bolts of the attention systems are essentially functional and they're online. And the brain begins a process of developing ways to inhibit focus on other things. So I want to stop down at this junction and talk a little bit about some assumptions about attention. A lot of times, when parents come with questions about whether their child meets criterion for ADHD or has difficulties focusing and paying attention, they'll say things like, "They have a hard time uh, paying attention. They don't get things done when I ask them to. They have very poor f- follow through. They're distractible." But if you have them doing their, their favorite activities, like they're reading a book, or they're playing with Legos, or they're watching a show then they get so zoned in and focused that it's like the rest of the world melts away. You can't grab their attention. And if you're calling their name across the room, they may not even hear you. So this is characteristic of conversations I have a lot about kids. And this is normally when when parents come to me at Kids Brain that we're talking about what the attentional systems can do and maybe what's developmentally appropriate as far as expectations. As early as six to 12 months of age, Babies will show a focus preference, usually by directing their eyes toward one target over another. Like there's two different choices. They look and focus on one versus the other. And so in studies that do things like present babies with things that are odd versus things that are typical, things that are new versus things that are familiar, the image of their mother's face versus a stranger's face, a picture of their favorite toy or the favorite toy themselves and a new toy that they've never seen before. They will be able to shift and focus on one of these things versus the other and to be able to sustain attention for a period of time to show that those attentional systems can work. The problem is that it takes years and years and years for these systems to actually be very good at paying attention. And most research suggests that our brains are not in the final adult stages of attention and reasoning and problem solving and inhibitory control for each individual until we're closer to 24 or 25 for males. It's a little bit younger for females sometimes, maybe closer to 22 or 23. But when we look at all of the lifespan that you're going to have up until that time frame, the focus, attention, and vigilance needed to get daily activities done doesn't come to a peak at 24 or 25. I was already married and largely finished with graduate studies by the time I got there. And many of you will have had big decisions and things that you had to do, whether it's tackling colleges or career choices or relationship decisions or whatever, by the time you get to 24 or 25. So let's step back into kind of expectations for attention and inhibitory control because these things go together. In order to be good at paying attention, you have to be good at inhibiting attention to something else. We think about that example of the Legos or the show or, you know, playing with your favorite doll or action figurines or whatever. Kids, even kids that have a diagnosis of ADHD, have the ability to pay attention. The way that I describe it to parents is that ADHD is not a deficit in attention, although in the title, it literally says attention deficit slash hyperactivity disorder. So that would make you think that the ability to focus is the problem. The problem is not the ability to focus. Often their systems are just as readily able to gather some information from the environment and pay attention to it. The problem is often with modulation of those attention systems. So... Being able to say, just pay attention, sounds like it's an easy single step process, but it's not. Your brain has to gather information from your sensory systems, what you see, what you hear, messages from your body, how you feel in space, the grumbling of your internal organs or whatever it is that's going on. And then it has all of that information coming in with things coming from your eyes, things coming from your ears, things coming from your skin, and the way that your proprioceptive systems or your body in space feels And all of those happen at one time. So, those go into your attentional systems, and then there has to be a way to prioritize. So, your brain has to be able to isolate the part that's maybe the most important to pay attention to so that it can shift focus to that one prioritized thing and then inhibit or turn off or turn down the focus to other things. And this is where kids with ADHD tend to have struggles it's not with the ability to pay attention. It's the ability to prioritize the things that you want them to pay attention to in the moment, because they're paying attention to lots of things all the time. But their systems may not prioritize what's most important or what the most salient piece of the environment or the systems that they're receiving information into, which one it trumps the others, basically. So if we're in a situation where the teacher is talking at the front of the classroom, giving a math lesson. And we have a child who's thinking about the grumbling in their stomach and what they might have for lunch and then who they might sit with for lunch and then maybe what they're going to talk about. And then after lunch, what might happen at recess. And then all of a sudden you have this child who's thinking about what super fun games could be played at recess. That's not a struggle with attention because they're focusing on their thought process and they're focusing on the cues from their body. What they're not able to focus on is the teacher talking in a boring way because it turns into background noise too fast. So essentially, ADHD is a struggle where, especially for kids that have primary difficulties with attention, where the sustaining of attention, like keeping those attentional systems on and focused on this prioritized thing for the amount of time needed to get things done is the struggle. They tend to shift focus or zone out to some other focus too quickly, which makes things harder. So if we're talking about the interplay between attention and response control, not only do you have to be able to pay attention, but you have to have voluntary control needed to turn off other signals, right? So that you look at a doorknob and don't immediately reach for it and touch it. This is where things get a little bit tricky, especially when we're working with the kids bring kids at the office that are younger. Because most parents have larger expectation for their child's impulse control skills than is actually developmentally appropriate. So we see kids from birth up through 19 years of age. And for the littler kids, oftentimes the questions that come in with parents are, why does my child have such difficulty with anger management? Or why are they impulsive and touching everything? Why do I have to ask 60 times for them to put things down? Or I will sit you know, in front of my child and say, don't touch that. And then they immediately touch that. And it may be 16 times that they touch that, even though I'm literally saying, don't touch that. Why can't they follow directions? So these sorts of conversations, when they are happening about kids that are under the age of like three and a half or four, are generally going to be returned on our side, going to be returned with conversation about what realistic expectations for impulse control might look like. Because most parents of kids in this age range will overestimate what they believe their child's actual like mental and physical breaking systems look like. I always think about the attentional systems as being kind of like a car that has a gas pedal and a brake pedal. And if we're going to do it really, really well, that your brain should be kind of like a granny driver where it has one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake, and it's constantly shifting up and down between going and stopping, going and stopping. And it may be going in some areas and stopping in others at the same time. For the kids that we spend time with here at Kids Brain, a lot of them have difficulties with impulse control. They're all gas pedal or they're all brake pedal. They're the kids that say no, 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 and they can't do simple things that you ask them to do because they have difficulty getting started. But when we look at the developmental expectations for impulse control, these typically don't start as emergent skills until kids get to three and a half or four. And this is in samples of kids that are neurotypical, that have no delays in language functions or motor functions or early risk factors for emotional struggles that run in the family or whatever, like if we have a child that has none of those red flags and risk factors, then what we have is an expectation that between zero and three and a half or four, that impulse control should be pretty poor. And most of the time, parents in this age range will overestimate how much they believe their child should be able to turn off problem behaviors or stop themselves when they're directed to do so Which is why up until three and a half or four years of age, tantrums and things like that are much more likely to happen because they have very little impulse control. And it's not starting to develop until three and a half or four. And it's not fully developed until we get to like 24 or 25, which is a lot of years to deal with acting out behaviors and uh, touching things you're not supposed to touch and hitting other kids and grabbing for toys that you wanted instead So, part of the process of setting expectations is to maybe stop and think about the within normal limits factor. Like, are we in the realm of within normal limits? So, the whole point of this conversation is to give you an idea of what that might look like. Let's switch gears back to the attention part for just a second. Knowing that these two systems go together, you can't just be inattentive or just have struggles with impulse control. They tend to be part and parcel. So, one goes with the other. But I did want to set some realistic expectations for what attention span usually looks like for kids by age. And we're going to start at four because up until the age of like late three, early four, attention and impulse control are always spotty for kids. So when you find yourself repeating a gajillion times before you get a child to respond or taking an object out of a child's hands because they literally have shown that they can't stop touching what you just told them to, that's all completely normal up until the age of four. And then we start to have a little bit higher expectation for both attention span and response behavioral control, which is that braking system to be able to say, oh, mom said stop or dad's making that look that says I shouldn't touch that. Maybe I shouldn't. So when we look at attention span considerations for kids that don't have any other developmental delays or things that would inhibit their ability to listen and follow directions or to have control over motor systems by age 4 attention span starts at about 8 minutes there are some kids maybe that are much better than their peers at this who could sustain attention up to maybe 12 minutes but that 8 to 12 minute time frame is typical for a 4 year old and then we increase that expectation as far as what the normal range looks like by 2 to 3 minutes per year of age so by age 5 your kids should be able to pay attention on a preferred task. This doesn't mean non-preferred tasks, right? So when I say a five-year-old should be able to pay attention roughly 10 to 14 minutes at a time, that's 10 to 14 minutes where they can do something that they're motivated to pay attention to. If you expect them to be folding laundry for 10 to 14 minutes, because it's a non-preferred task, it's not engaging to the attentional systems, it's much harder to pay attention to. You as adults have the same problem, right? When it's something that you really want to do, you can focus and get things done. And it may even feel like time flies. You're doing your favorite task. It's been, you know, 30 minutes, but it feels like 10. But when I ask, you know, to think about something different, something that's non-preferred, like how long it's going to require you to pay attention to cut the grass or to fold laundry, or clean all the toilets in the house or go to the grocery store, whatever your unfavorite tasks might be, then even in an adult, the standard expectation of attentional span being somewhere between 36 and 54 minutes, research suggests, and that's a long time. If you're having to do sustained work for more than an hour, your brain's going to run out of juice. So for our younger kids, if we add that two to three minutes as a context, By six, we're talking about maybe 12 to 18 minutes of being able to sustain attention if they're focused on something and motivated to continue to focus. Seven-year-olds, 14 to 21-ish minutes. By eight, 16 to 24 minutes. By nine, 18 to 27 minutes. And then from there, add two to three minutes per year of age. I have kids that are 12 and 15. So my 12-year-old's attention span should be somewhere between 24 and 36 minutes, roughly. My 15-year-old, 30 to 45 minutes, roughly. Interestingly, this is about how long we set homework sessions at our house, or at least I try to be attuned to this process and say, okay, it's not reasonable for a child to spend all day at school, come home, have a quick snack, and then do three hours of homework, even at 15. So generally what we do is use a method called the Pomodoro method, which is where you have a period of work time, focused work time, distraction-free work time, hopefully, interspersed with periods of break. So for my oldest son, we generally, especially during times when lots of studying is going to be needed, like at finals time, he will start a study session at the top of the hour, like on the weekend at two o'clock and then study until 2.45 and then have a break, and then switch subjects and start at the top of the hour at 3 o'clock, study for 45 minutes, have a 15-minute break, top of the hour for the next one, and then after we've had two or three sessions, a longer break, like you'll have a full hour off. So essentially what we're trying to do is isolate that window of time that's developmentally appropriate for kids to pay attention by age range, and then to be able to capitalize on that by reducing distraction during those time frames, we'll spend a lot of time talking about how to set up systems for distraction-free work. And I'm going to bring Kathy Kurzman, my academic executive function specialist, to talk about that in another episode. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is just be mindful that attention span is not something that kids always have full control over. And even when they do, it's not nearly as long as we would expect it to be. And they have to have great response control or inhibitory control or cognitive breaking systems to be able to use these attention systems effectively anyway. So if you have a a child that tends to be impulsive and they act before they think, which is all very developmentally appropriate in the preschool age range, but should get a little bit better after that. If you find that your child in comparison with peers is not very good at using their breaking systems, or you have a child who's been diagnosed with ADHD where Attention and behavioral control response control pieces would potentially be immature in comparison with others in their age range. Then that expectation should be different. Maybe they won't be able to at the time span that you would expect at like 12, where 24 to 36 minutes kind of makes sense for a window. Maybe they only have about a 20 minute bandwidth. And you need to schedule breaks more frequently or have an expectation that they're going to need to get up and change to a different task more frequently because those attentional systems have to be refreshed. Ultimately, the hope is that this has given you a little bit of context for how the attention and response control systems develop so that based on age, you have the ability to judge what might be reasonable as an expectation. And then if you find you're overshooting it or you're pushing to a place where you expect you were eight-year-old to sit and do homework for longer than the 16 to 24 minutes that would be typical for an eight-year-old, then you can change that bar just a little bit to help yourself have more reasonable expectations, but also set your child up for attention and response control success more frequently because when they do it great, you want to have an opportunity to tell them that they've done a fantastic job because that reinforces the process of paying attention and using your brakes and all of those things that we want kids to do by the time they are humans and that we live outside of our home and, and to create a broader profile of being a tolerable human as a result. All right. Stay tuned for further episodes and segments to add to our knowledge of kids and attention and response control. I look forward to catching you in the next segment. Welcome to the Bond, Build, and Connect segment. This is Dr. Morrison sharing today's BBC tip for parents. So let's talk a little bit about listening and compliance. One of the bigger questions that parents have when they come to me or my team here at Kids Brain is, why does my child have such a hard time listening to me and following directions? So a good place to start, if we're going to address that, is to figure out what your child's actual rate of response looks like. So I'm going to describe in this segment what I think of as the come here test. So this is intended to give you information about what your child's actual response rate looks like when you ask for them to pay attention to you. So in order to do this, go to a different room in your house where you can be heard when you raise your voice, but you are not right next to your child make sure that they are able to hear you and they're reasonably unoccupied. So it's kind of mean to set them up for failure if they're in the middle of a video game and you know 100% that they're not going to come. So the sorts of situations that might be helpful is if they are doing something quietly in their room and you call from the kitchen or you can hear them in the entryway to your house but you are in the living room, they're probably not distracted 100% on what they're doing. They're just kind of in this middle territory where Getting their attention would be helpful, but it may not be impossible. When you have a scenario like that play out in your household, then call for your child. So you could say something like, hey, Parker, can you please come here for a second? Make sure that you use their name. Make sure that you say please. And then wait and see what happens. If they come to you, smile, give them a hug, say thank you for coming to see you. So, Parker, thank you so much for coming when I called your name. I just wanted to see if I could have a quick hug. I was needing one. Or ask a simple question like, Parker, I just wanted to double check that we have baseball practice at 630 tonight. Is that right? So something that would be a reason why you would have them come in your direction to ask a question, but not something super big and certainly not asking them to do anything, This is just a test, so essentially something that would warrant getting their attention but is relatively neutral. And then keep track for 10 tries spaced out over a couple of different days, different parts of the day. The standard compliance rate for kids to respond to parents in a neurotypical child in a regular plain Jane situation is about 80% of the time. So check your numbers. If you are at eight or higher, fantastic. Your child is not struggling to listen to you more than any other parent of kids in that age range, probably. If you aren't there yet, think about whether you're usually giving negative input to your child when you ask them to come see you. So if every time you call Parker, is it because Parker has left his shoes in the middle of the kitchen? Is it because he failed to put the toothpaste back in its designated spot? Is it because he left the toilet seat up? Is it because his clothes are thrown in the middle of his floor and you want them to pick him up? If those are situations when you are regularly calling your child and they come to you and they are getting your mom pickle face, which is kind of the grumpy face that you carry around with you when it's time for redirection, then it may be the reason that they are not listening to you is because it's not particularly rewarding to listen to you because every time they approach you when you make such a request, they are receiving some sort of feedback that's negative, criticism or redirection, or you're asking them to do something that may be an undesirable task. You can boost your child's come when called rate by working hard in these situations on offering more good things, like calling your child just so that you can smile at them, hug them, give them a quick squeeze or some sort of small treat, compliments, something like that, that will build up the reinforcement that they get for listening to you. And it doesn't have to be every single time, but if there are some good things that happen when you call their name, they are far more likely to show up, whether it's a positive thing, a neutral thing, or a, a more redirection parent style thing that you need to deal with in the moment. That said, When you call a child's name and they come to you, you should at least say, thank you for coming when I called your name. That's really helpful for me. Or some other praise, even if you have to jump in with a redirection from there. That's today's bond, build, and connect tip.